You are listening to an RPA production, where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Season 2 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting. Or maybe something spooky. Or maybe something just... Mysterious. Hey everybody, this is Terry. I love classic ghost stories. Uh, I've read many ghost stories throughout the years, and some of them, some of them just scared the gill hoolies out of me back in the day. And some of them, if I read them now, still give me some reason to look over my shoulder in the dead of night, you know, when I'm reading them dark in the in the late night. So let's go for a little bit of a spooky trip. The story of Perlin Jean. Perlin Jean is the name given to a ghost who supposedly haunts the Allen Bank Courtyard situated in Allenton, Berwickshire, Scotland. The courtyard was previously the site of a dower house, which is in, in modern terms, in American terms, uh, on an English, Scottish, or Welsh uh, estate, the dower house is what we might refer to today as either a guest house or perhaps even a mother-in-law house. The, the house itself was called Allen Bank, and it was on the country estate of the now-demolished Blackadder House. The ghost's name is derived from the eyewitness's claim that she is seen covered in the similarly named lace with which the Laird of Allenbank apparently tried to buy her silence after an affair. The story has consistently placed the ghost at the estate. However, the woman who came to be Perlin Jean had her origins in Paris, as did the affair. Legend states that she was the lover of Laird Sir Robert Stewart, who was made a baronet in 1684, and she was a nun of charity, as she was not confined to a cloister. Their affair apparently lasted a long time there in Paris, but the Laird, the young Laird finally had to leave Paris to go back home to marry and begin his public life, I guess you would say. Uh, 
there are thoughts that maybe he had become uh, unfaithful to the young lady. And it's also suggested that, yes, he did get called back to marry uh, someone, the daughter of a Sir John Gilmore. Jean attempted to physically stop Stuart from leaving her by stepping out in front of his carriage. She called to him to ask him to please stop, take her with him, and then got angry and said that she would come between he and his wife. And apparently she jumped on the carriage trying to stop it, but slipped after the young man had told his driver to drive on. She slipped off the wheel and fell under the carriage and the, the wheel crushed her skull, ran across her forehead. Apparently her last words to Robert before falling were, I'll be in Scotland before you. In what appeared to be fulfilling of the prophecy, apparently as Stuart arrived back at his estate for the first time, he saw the young woman sitting on top of the entrance to the estate. Blood was covering her head and shoulders. This first sighting was prior to 1697. After this incident, and apparently some haunting evidence went on after that, after this incident, seven local ministers from the Church of the Reformed Faith, that was the Church of England apparently, were asked to congregate in the house to exorcise the ghost, but it didn't work. The household decided to hang the woman's portrait, not an exact portrait, mind you, but a very close similarity to the young lady, hung her portrait between the Laird's portrait and his wife's portrait. and. It, it sort of calmed things down for a while, but Lady Stewart got upset one day and took the painting down, and the house went into uproar again from these hauntings. It said the ghost slammed doors, opened windows, and, and walked through the house at all times of the day and night. And as time progressed, Perlin Jean's ghostly figure became that of a skeleton in Perlin lace rather than the figure. Seen by, seen by the laird dripping with blood. After the laird's death, her appearances were unsurprising to the staff, being reportedly unmenacing. The portrait of Perlin Jean was apparently later given to a knight, and nobody knows its current whereabouts. In the 1700s, though, Thomas Blackadder was said to be infatuated with the figure of Perlin Jean and went to meet her in the courtyard. When he realized that she was a ghost, he became incredibly frightened. And later in the century, in 1790, ladies of the court reported being disturbed throughout their stay at the, state, at the estate by footsteps pacing up and down their chambers. The legend was immortalized in song in the 1800s and the known lyrics of which are, and I will not try to sing it because there's no tune to it to me, Oh, Perlin Jean, oh, Perlin Jean, she haunts the house, she haunts the green, and glowers on us at where her woolcat in. I have no idea what that means. And another verse says, For all the silver in the English bank, nor yet for all the gold, would I pass through the hall of Allenbank when the midnight bell has tolled.
after the main house was demolished in the 1800s, with a bowling green being placed near the foundations, the ghost has faded into history. Pearl and Jean simply just went away. But her memory did not. There have been no contemporary sightings, however, even though there are no sightings, in the beginnings of the 20th century, the estate holders found it almost impossible to find tenants for the land. Many prospective inhabitants dropped out when they heard about Pearl and Jean. Pearl and Jean still has power to frighten even in modern times. One of the most enduring ghost stories is one which people call the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall. The Brown Lady of Raynham Hall is a ghost that reportedly haunts Raynham Hall in Norfolk, England. It became one of the most famous hauntings in Great Britain when photographers from Country Life magazine claimed to have captured its image. The Brown Lady is so named because of the brown brocade dress it is claimed she wears. I will include a photo a copy of the photo on the Mysterious Moments Facebook page if you want to look at it. It's one of the most well-known supposedly ghost photographs ever taken. According to the legend, the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall is the ghost of Lady Dorothy Walpole, who lived from 1686 to 1726, so she was only Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 40 when she passed away. She was the sister of Robert Walpole, generally regarded as the first Prime Minister of Great Britain. She was the second wife of Charles Townshend, who was notorious for his violent temper. The story says that when Townshend discovered that his wife had committed adultery with Lord Wharton, he punished her by locking her, hair, locking her in her rooms in the family home, Raynham Hall. According to Mary Wortley Montague, Dorothy was in fact entrapped by the Countess of Wharton. She invited Dorothy over to stay for a few days, knowing that her husband would never allow her to leave, not even to see her children. She remained at Raynham Hall until her death in 1726 from smallpox. The first recorded claim of the sighting of the ghost was by Lucia C. Stone, concerning a gathering at Raynham Hall in the Christmas of 1835. Stone says that Lord Charles Townshend had invited various guests to the hall, including a Colonel Loftus, to join in the Christmas festivities. Loftus and another guest named Hawkins said they had seen the brown lady one night as they approached their bedrooms, noting in particular the dated brown dress she wore. The following evening, Loftus claimed to have seen the brown lady again, later reporting that on this occasion, he was drawn to the specter's empty eye sockets, dark in the glowing face. Loftus's sightings have led to some staff permanently leaving Raynham, and I do not blame them. 
The next reported sighting of the Brown Lady was made in 1836 by Captain Frederick Marriott, a friend of novelist Charles Dickens and the author himself of a series of popular sea novels. It is said that Marriott requested that he spend the night in the haunted room at Raynham Hall to prove his theory that the haunting was caused by local smugglers anxious to keep people away from the area. Writing in 1891, Florence Marriott said of her father's experience, quoting, He took possession of the room in which the portrait of the apparition hung, in which she had and in which she had often been seen, and slept each night with the loaded revolver under his pillow. For two days, however, he saw nothing, and the third was to be the limit of his stay. On the third night, however, two young men, nephews of the baronet, knocked at his door as he was undressing to go to bed and ask him to step over to their room, which was at the other end of the corridor, and give them his opinion on a new gun just arrived from London. My father was in his shirt and trousers, but as the hour was late and everybody had retired to rest except themselves, he was prepared to accompany them as he was. As they were leaving the room, he caught up his revolver, quoting the father, in case you meet the brown lady, unquote, he said laughing. When the inspection of the gun was over, the young men in the same spirit declared they would accompany my father back again, in case you meet the brown lady, he said. Laughing also, the three gentlemen therefore returned in company. The corridor was long and dark, for the lights had been extinguished. But as they reached the middle of it, they saw the glimmer of a lamp coming towards them and from the other end. One of the ladies going to visit the nurseries, whispered the young townshens to my father. Now the bedroom doors on that corridor faced each other, and each room had a double door with the space in between, as is the case in many old-fashioned houses. My father, as I have said, was in shirt and trousers only in his native modesty, made him feel uncomfortable, so he slipped within one of the outer doors, his friends following his example, in order to conceal himself until the lady should have passed by. I have heard him describe how he watched her approaching nearer and nearer through the chink of the door until, as she was close enough for him to distinguish the colors and style of her costume, he recognized the figure of the, as the facsimile of the portrait of the brown lady. He had his finger on the trigger of his revolver and was about to demand it stop and give it give the reason for its presence there when the figure halted of its own accord before the door behind which he stood and holding the lighted lamp she carried to her features grinned in a malicious and diabolical manner at him. This act so infuriated my father who was anything but lamb-like in disposition that he sprang into the corridor with a bound and discharged the revolver right in her face. The figure instantly disappeared. The figure at which several minutes three men had been looking at together. And the bullet passed through the outer door of the room on the opposite side of the corridor and lodged in the panel of the inner one. My father never attempted again to interfere with the brown lady of Raynham. Lady Townshend reported that the brown lady was next seen in 1926 when her son and his friend claimed to have seen the ghost on the staircase. 
identifying the ghostly figure with the portrait of Lady Dorothy Walpole, which then hung in the haunted room. On September 19, 1936, Captain Hubert C. Provan, a London-based photographer working for Country Life magazine, and his assistant, Indri Shira, were taking photographs of Raynham Hall for an article. They claimed that they had already taken a photograph of the hall's main staircase and were setting up to take a second when Shira saw a vapory form gradually assuming the appearance of a woman moving down the stairs toward them. Under Shira's direction, Provan quickly took the cap off the lens while Shira pressed the trigger to activate the camera's flash. Later, when the negative was developed, the famous image of the brown lady was revealed. The account of Provan and Shira's ghostly experience at Raynham Hall was published in Country Life magazine on December 26, 1936, along with the photograph of the brown lady. The photograph and the account of its taking also appeared in the January 4, 1937 edition of Life magazine. Shortly thereafter, the noted paranormal investigator Harry Price interviewed Provan and Shira and reported, I will say at once I was impressed. I was told a perfectly simple story. Mr. Indra Shira saw the apparition, apparition descending the stairs at the precise moment when Captain Provan's head was under the black cloth, a shout, and the cap was off and the flashbulb fired with the results which we now see. I could not shake their story and I had no right to disbelieve them. Only collusion between the two men would account for the ghost if it is a fake. The negative is entirely innocent of any faking. Some critics have claimed that Shira faked the image by putting grease or a similar substance on the lens in the shape of a figure, or moved down the stairs himself during an exposure. Others claim that the image is an accidental double exposure, or that light somehow got into the camera. Joe Nickel, who is a senior research fellow for the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and writes regularly for their journal, The Skeptical Inquirer, and is also an associate dean for the Center for Inquiry Institute, has written that a detailed examination of the photograph shows evidence of double exposure. John Fairley and Simon Welfare wrote, there is a pale line above each stair tread, indicating that one picture has been superimposed over the other and that a patch of reflected light at the top of the right-hand banister appears twice. The magician John Booth wrote, the photograph could easily be duplicated by naturalistic methods. Booth had the magician Ron Wilson cover himself with a bedsheet and descend the grand staircase at the Magic Castle in Hollywood. The faked ghost image looked very similar to the Raynham Hall photograph. Other critics point out that the image of the lady very closely resembles that of a standard Virgin Mary statue as would be found in any Catholic church, the light patch covering the bottom one-third of the image resembling an inverted V-shape, being very indicative as the outer garment above it drapes down on either side at an angle. Also the head is covered and the hands appear to be together as in prayer, and the square or rectangular pedestal on which she stands is also clearly visible. 
This strongly suggests that the photo is a simple superimposition of the Madonna statue onto the empty staircase. Our final staircase is a truly scary one, at least at first reading. And then along came the party poopers. 50 Berkeley Square is a reportedly haunted townhouse in Berkeley Square in Mayfair, central London. In the late 19th century, it became known as one of the most haunted houses in London. Researchers have since suggested an entirely rational explanation for the alleged phenomena that involved the house's occupant, Thomas Myers. It has also been noted that many of the stories about the house were exaggerated or invented by later writers about its ghost. But let's look at the legend. The, the legend about the house varies, but most versions state that the attic room of the house is haunted by the spirit of a young woman who committed suicide there. She purportedly threw herself from a top floor window after being abused by her uncle and is said to be capable of frightening people to death. The spirit is said to take the form of a brown mist, although sometimes it is reported as a white figure. A rarer version of the tale is that a young man was locked in the attic room, fed only through a hole in the door, until he eventually went mad and died. Another story yet is that the attic room is haunted by the ghost of a little girl who was killed there by a sadistic servant. From 1859 to the early 1870s, Mr. Myers, who had been rejected by his fiancée, lived in the house. It was said that he locked himself inside and slowly went mad. During his residence in the house, it fell into gross disrepair, disrepair and its reputation began to develop. Mr. Myers died in 1874. It is said that in 1872, on a bet, Lord Littleton, L-Y-T-T-L-E-T-O-N, or Lyttleton, stayed a night in the building's attic. He brought with him a shotgun and fired at an apparition during the night. In the morning, he attempted to find the apparition, apparition but could only find the shotgun cartridges. The following year, the local council issued a summons to the house's owners for failure to pay taxes, but it was claimed that they were not prosecuted because of the house's reputation for being haunted. In 1879, a piece in the Mayfair magazine alleged that a maid who stayed in the attic room had been found mad and had died in an asylum the day after. It was also alleged that after a nobleman spent the night in the attic room, he was so paralyzed with fear that he could not speak. In 1887, a story came out that two sailors from the HMS Penelope stayed a night in the house. By morning, one was found dead, and the other... I'm sorry, one was found dead having tripped as he ran from the house, the other reportedly having seen the ghost of Mr. Myers approaching them aggressively. Modern interest in the site was spurred by its inclusion in Peter Underwood's book Haunted London in 1975. No phenomenon has been reported since the house was bought by the Mags brothers in the late 1930s and though many contemporary media outlets have reported happenings at the house, more recent investigators claim that nothing unusual has ever taken place there. They remarked that events in Lord Lytton's story, The Haunted and the Haunters, bear a remarkable resemblance to the supposed hauntings at 50 Berkeley Square. 
There were three sets of correspondences, about 50 Berkeley Square, in the journal Notes and Queries in 1872 and 3, 1879, and 1880-81. A common conclusion was that the neglect of the house had inspired the imaginative stories about hauntings. In her autobiography, published in 1906, Lady Dorothy Neville stated that Mr. Myers was a relative of hers, and after he had lost his fiancée, his behavior bordered on lunacy, and he stayed in the house all day, becoming active at night where he rambled about, making strange sounds. According to Neville, the old house would occasionally appear to be lit up all in the dead of night. She considered that Myers' nocturnal activities had been misinterpreted by others as evidence of a ghost. She concluded that the haunting had no factual basis and the whole story was nonsense. Modern researchers have suggested that the house was never haunted and that many of the stories were either exaggerated or invented by later writers. For example, the claim that the sailors entered the house in the 1870s was invented by Elliot O'Donnell and there is no evidence to confirm any part of that story. So there are some spooky stories. They're much better when told simply as stories without the researchers and the skeptics. But I do suppose that the truth must be told or at least suggested. Well, that's the end of this week's show. I hope you enjoyed the stories. They're some of my favorites. Uh, when told as ghost stories, they are excellent stories. When told as stories and then explained, it loses something in translation, but still, the original stories are the, are the most juicy ones, the, the great ones. So that's it for this week. If you have any comments or suggestions, um, call me, or not call me, but uh, contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments on Facebook or at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Again, that's Terry's Mysterious Moments on, on Facebook or Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. I want to hear what you think about the stories. I want to know if you have any stories. If you do, send them in. I'll read them for you. Or you can, you can uh, contact me and we'll talk about it. I love it. Thanks for listening. Have a good week, everybody. Bye-bye.